0: we're gonna dedicate the next month we're gonna be doing voter registration make it very easy arkansas and texas you can register to vote in our sanctuary uh, you'll never hear me tell you who to vote for you're an adult you can make that decision but i feel a biblical responsibility to challenge you and to help educate you about bib bible issues you know in our world today somehow we have put the church in a little box and its box is a Sunday voice and you do what you want to there and then the secular politicians do what they want to. That was not America's past and I don't believe that'll be America's future again. But the voice of morality, the voice of truth, the voice of right and wrong should be heralded in our culture and how many know that doesn't come from Washington, that comes from the pulpits of America. And I see my job as that very, very much as, as, as your pastor to do that. And uh, we're going to dedicate the month of October to pray for America. We're going to help you with some prayer bullets to pray for our nation. And uh, hopefully you will not only be inspired and motivated, but we can educate you in the process both locally and nationally. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand to your feet? And uh, as the Velocity is dismissing, and we want to take just a moment and pray for America that God would visit us. Thank you, Lord. Just stand with me a minute. And everybody say, God bless America. And we don't say those words lightly, but we recognize that every good thing in this nation is because of you. We want to recognize that our freedom came from God. We recognize the food we eat is a gift of God. We recognize the fact that our nation has not been devastated by violence and war and and has robbed us and turned us into a dictatorship. That's because of you we just welcome your presence here and we would pray today that there would be another great awakening in america we pray that once again god would be exalted that the truth of the bible would guide those that make decisions those that make laws and those that define justice so we just want to say this morning let it begin here would you just pray that with me say lord let an awakening begin in my heart let me live above the cultural debate the next couple months and live as a biblical christian invoke Christian values. So we welcome you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Well give your neighbor a high five. Tell him you are looking extra good today. And you may be seated. Well it felt nice to get out in that little cooler air this morning, didn't it? And what you look in your Bible is the book of Judges. The book of Judges, I'm going to start a new series for just a couple of weeks long, but it's called Turnaround Leaders in troubled times. Turnaround leaders in troubled times and I want to encourage you the book of Judges is where we're reading uh, and we have a Bible guide for for you if you don't have one to help you have kind of a a guide to read the Bible, Old and New Testament alike and if you'd like one just lift your hand real quickly and ushers will give you one for yourself or anybody in your family. It's got a New Testament track, an Old Testament track and uh, it's on our iPhone app as well as our Android app and our, our website. But this idea of a turnaround leader the word turnaround means a complete reversal of the situation. A complete reversal. And what you're going to see as we look in the book of Judges is you're going to see that God used ordinary people, men and women, just like you and I, to see a change come about that never could have been done just in the strength of man. But how many know God can do impossible things. He can turn around. He can fix what's broken. Let's look in Judges chapter 6. And mind you, the nation of Israel in this time in their history, it's been like a sine wave. It's up and down. Sometimes they walk with God, and when they walk with God, things are good, things are blessed, things go better in their lives. But how many know when you get away from God, trouble comes? And that's exactly what was going on. As we look in the as you read through the book of Judges, there's a lot of application that you can make in your life beyond just history. But that's what's happening here. Gideon is the guy we're talking about this morning. Gideon, a turnaround leader. Judges 6, verse 1, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Now, first of all, in a modern America today, we're not sure what evil is any longer. Are you with me today? You, You cannot figure out by watching the television what's evil and what's not evil. Even some of our Supreme Court decisions, when our Supreme Court gives more protection to a pornographer than they do to an unborn child, how many know there's an unjust law or two circulating through the nation? When people are forbidden from praying, come on, something is wrong in a nation that's founded on religious liberty. But they were doing evil in their day and because of that crisis had come, seven years of crisis. The Lord handed them over to the Midianites. The Midianites were one of the pagan tribes that God used to discipline His children. Now, how many know God loves us enough to discipline us when we're going the wrong direction? And that's exactly what was happening here in their day. Verse two: The Midianites were so cruel that they handed uh, that they made Israelites made hiding places for themselves in mountains, caves, and strongholds. And verse six: The Lord or Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites, and then everybody say then. Then the Israelites cried out to help from the Lord. I mean, sometimes it's got to get real bad before people cry out to God. Well, that's what exactly happened in their nation, and you will find that it happened time and time again in their history. As we'll see this morning in the sixth chapter, God used the most unlikely person to bring a turnaround. His name was Gideon. He was not someone that was in the political elite. He was not someone who was, who was high up in society. He's not because he had money. He didn't have power. He didn't have influence. He didn't have all the things that you look for in a leader. But God saw something in his heart that God could use him to be a turnaround leader. Now, this message is very much, very practical to you today because this turn, how many know turnaround leaders are needed everywhere? If your family is in trouble, I mean, if divorce is on the horizon, if, you know, there's conflict with the kids, how many know you need a turnaround leader in your family? It could be a husband, it could be a wife, it could be one of the kids. It could be the neighbor next door that hears people, you know, cussing and shouting and screaming in the middle of the night. How many know a turnaround leader can begin to pray, seek God, and find a way to fix what's broken? Uh, How many know the city that's supposed to be twice as nice is sometimes twice as mean? I mean, as you look at kind of our public debate, you know, across the state line, uh, you can take a pretty cool picture downtown, but sometimes it stops there. I mean, no, we need turnaround leaders in our city to fix what's broken. And I don't just mean mayors and city councilmen. I'm talking about citizens. I'm talking about someone in public works. I'm talking about some man, some woman that will find the mind of God to what to do in a broken situation and work with God to see it turn around. I mean, our college, Texarkana College, if they don't have some turnaround leaders, they may close their doors and be out of business. And I'm not just talking about a president, but I'm talking about people that God puts the burden on their hearts, that God shows them what to do, and some person rises up and is able to turn in the nation or fix what's broken. I mean, know that uh, Friday nights are time for football in Texas and Arkansas. But how me know if you've got not only football players, you've got cheerleaders. And if you've got girls cheering, go fight, win, you've also got some drama out there. And all the ladies said, well, listen, if the cheerleaders are not getting along and having a fight, how many of them need, they need a girl to be a turnaround leader out on the field? Come on. They need a girl to be a turnaround leader and help kids get along and forgive and begin to focus on what's important. So when I talk about a turnaround leader, I'm talking very broadly, but I am also talking very specifically about our nation today because how many know America is in desperate need of turnaround leaders? This nation that we live in is on the brink of a moral and an economic collapse. And I stand before you today as a preacher talking for a moment about America because America needs help. And as you listen to, the, to these words, I hope you will not put me in a political box. But I hope you will hear me over the, particularly the next few weeks as we go towards an election to try to educate you and challenge you, not as a Republican, not as a Democrat, not as an Independent, but as a godly person, come on, that believes the Bible is the Word of God. I believe when you come to church, you deserve to hear the truth about things. I believe when you come to church, you need to hear not just an opinion, but you need to hear what's going on in culture, what the Bible has to say so we know how to live our lives. And I'll tell you, friends, I was shocked this week as I listened and watched the Democrat National Convention. You've heard this, you've seen it on YouTube, but in their party platform, which is the core values of what the party believes should be happening in the nation, we've seen a lot of changes in that that party that has been the heritage of my family for decades, but something is different in that group of American people today. In their party, of course, they extended the rights of abortion so that abortion should become a right and be taxpayer-funded. I believe the Bible that the Bible teaches us that life isn't created in the womb, come on, and, and life is valuable to God at all stages. Hence, I must call that wrong. They added to their party platform same-sex marriage. They have blessed the union between, or union, two men or, or two women. When the Bible tells us that God created man and woman and God blessed that union, come on, and a mother and father should raise their children and teach them the way they should go. I must say that is something that is wrong and that is something, even though men or women might embrace that, that is not a biblical position. But what caught the attention of America this week is when whoever their committee was that had redrafted their platform, they removed the last reference to God in their party platform. Now listen, you can have the word God there and not really mean anything. Come on, atheists use money that says in God we trust on it. But there's a great deal of symbolism in that. Listen, if you're going to talk about God with me, I'm talking about praying in Jesus' name. Come on, I'm talking about having the courage to stand for the Savior of the world who died on a cross for our sin. We live in a nation today that they won't let people wear crosses to work sometimes. You can't wear a cross on an airline sometimes because it might offend people. So if you're going to talk about God to me, come on, let's talk about the true God, the living God, the one who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But even to remove the vestige of America's heritage, they realized that that was an all wrong thing to do. How about Israel? When they, when they minimized America's support of Israel, rather than making Jerusalem their capital... They wanted it to be somewhere else. They realized that was a mistake. You say, well, what's that got to do with the Bible? Because as old as Genesis, Abraham, listen, was told that those that bless God's people will be blessed and those that curse God's people will be cursed. And Israel, listen, was the chosen people through which the Messiah came. And as you saw on the television this week, as they realized that what they were doing was causing some upheaval in America, they tried to change it in their party platform. And they came up and they had three voice votes. Go back and look at this. To add, think about the, how ludicrous this is, to add God back, come on, to the party platform. And on the third voice vote, you couldn't even tell who won. I want to tell you, friends, something is amiss in America. It's bigger than Democrats. It's bigger than Republicans. Come on. Unfortunately, we don't have a God party in America. I'd be a part of that one. We, uh, but we don't. And our world around us is filled with people that need direction. They need turnaround leaders, come on, to show them the way to go. And I want to challenge you in this series of messages from the book of Judges that you can be a turnaround leader. You can be a turnaround leader in your school. You can be a turnaround leader in our city, in your home, or even have influence in our nation. Because how many know the Bible says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Come on, give the Lord a a good hand this morning. Let's look in Judges now. Judges chapter 6, our first turnaround leader, his name is Gideon. And I want to give you four, four things we can learn from this man. When I go into the pages of the Bible, I'm not just looking for history. I'm not just looking for facts, though I'm looking for history and facts. I'm looking for application. And I've got to, I've got to admit to you, sometimes I read portions of the Bible like the latter part of Joshua that I just read. I didn't get much when they distributed the land. But there's something here... I don't get much from a genealogy. Sometimes I do. But these portions of Scripture are rich in Bible, in Bible truth that we can apply to their life. Let's look at the first one, Judges 6, verse 11. Now, when you think of Gideon, he's one of those great figures that stand out in some amazing way. God is going to use this ordinary man. Of course, you know the story. They're fighting against a group called the Midianites. They're a a pagan group, but there's so many of them, the Bible says even their camels are like the sand on the seashore. But Gideon, now you would think if you're going to fight an army that big, you need a pretty big army. Well, you know his story. He didn't match a man for man. He started out with 32,000 soldiers in his army. God said, that's too many. You'll take credit for it. So he whittled them down to 10,000. And then he said, that's even too many. So God said, choose 300 people. Those, you remember the story about how they drank water. So think about this. His army's reduced in size to 1%, less than 1% of what it started at, and God wrought an amazing victory. The way they won the battle, of course, his, all they had was a trumpet and a flashlight, and they went out there in the dark and made some noise, and God supernaturally turned things around. Because this is what I want you to hear in this. When you get in a partnership with God Almighty, miracles can happen. Now, now listen, when you get in a part, there's some things that you're facing are too big for you. I must confess to you, sometimes I feel cynical and I feel a little hopeless because America's in such a, such a trouble. And I want to replace that because I believe God is big enough, come on, to turn things around. I don't care how broken it is in your family. I don't care how many times you've bailed your kid out of jail for drugs. I don't care how many, how many rehabs they have gone to. I want to tell you we serve a God of hope. Come on, we serve a God that can turn things around. I, I don't care how close you are to the divorce court. I'm telling you, God can change the hearts of people. I don't care how your ex treats you. I don't care how bad things are. We serve a God. Come on, that can change the circumstances of life. But oftentimes, he waits for a turnaround leader to be able to do it. Judges 6, verse 11. Here's the first thing, and I want to give you four this morning, and here's the first one. God sees our potential, we see our limitations. Now, don't you think about looking in a mirror? God sees our potential, God sees what could happen. But we look at the checkbook, we look at the facts, we look at the boundaries, and they feel like cement. We look at our, our lack of, whether it's education or we look at the color of our skin or we look at our gender or something that some someone has told us somewhere that says you simply can't do this. Well, I want to challenge you to see potential like God does. Look in 6.11. Gideon was beating out wheat in a wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Now, that's kind of odd, isn't it? Wheat was supposed to be like a large area, like the stage. If you can imagine, it's, it, it, it's, it's a clay, it's hard, it's been stepped on. They take the wheat from the field, they cut the stalks down, they put it on it, they crush it, they grind it. Uh, animals would even be used in stepping on it. They'd take a fork and throw it up in the air and the wind would blow the chaff away. The problem is, if you did it that way, the Midianites would come and steal all your food. So what he resorted to was, was, was preparing his wheat and getting the grain in a wine press, which oftentimes was like a hollowed out place in a rock. So rather than doing this open and public, shame and fear has reduced him to a very small place and he's preparing his wheat almost on his knees. So as he's doing this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you. What's it say? mighty man of valor, other translation says mighty warrior or mighty hero. So, here's the point. We see ourselves with limitation, God sees our potential. I want to show you a picture here and I'll ask you what you see in this picture. Now, take a peek and what's the first thing that draws your attention there? What's the obvious thing that you're looking at? I mean, you're kind of looking at the dark there, and it appears that there's a tree there, and it appears that there's, a, you know, some, uh, some, some landscaping in the back, and two people are looking out over the water. But do you see the baby below that? Look at the white portion. See in the left corner there, you see the baby, his face, his nose, his eyes. And then you see his, his her little hands in the air. See the little feet on the right side? You see the baby? So we we look at those pictures, you know, and and you say, oh, uh, uh, I see it. Imagine that's Gideon. Now think about this. Imagine that Gideon, what do you see? Do you see a farmer that's so scared and feels helpless that he's hiding? Or do you see a mighty man of valor? Now here's a bigger question. What do you see when you look in the mirror? When you're in some type of trouble... Be it as a Texarkansan, be it as an American, be it as a family member, whatever the case may be, a cheerleader, a football team. When you look in the mirror, what do you see yourself as? Do you see yourself as someone with God that has the potential to bring turnaround? Or do you see yourself vastly limited by the circumstances and you just got to ride it till it dies? I'm going to suggest to you, friend, God sees our Potential. And when you see these things, God sees different than we do. He, he sees our potential to change what's going on around us if we will get in partnership with Him. Now, How many know on our own strength, we reach times when we can't do anything? Listen, I've been there a lot of times. Sometimes you look at your checkbook and say, it's impossible. Can I tell you this, friends? If you're in partnership with God, though, and you're doing what God's called you to do, and you're doing your part, can I tell you, nothing is, in partner, is impossible with God? And that's the first message that Gideon would want to tell us today, is don't just see your limitations. Don't just see the things the way they are. Come on, dare to see the potential of what you and God can do in the middle of a troubled situation. Come on, give the Lord a a good hand today. Now, look at verse 13, and, and the conversation is continuing now. Gideon is talking to an angel, and here's the second point. It has to do with the why question. Because the why question has the potential to paralyze our lives. The why question can be like poison when we ingest it that causes paralysis. Now, look at verse 13. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? If the Bible is true, then why? If God is real, if God is loving, if God cares, why? Where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? (laughs) Didn't our ancestors say that the Lord brought us out of Egypt, but now you've abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Now, somebody needed to update their theology because they were in trouble, come on, because of the sin of their forefathers and the sin of of their situation. So they weren't seeing things clearly, but how many have ever asked God that why question and felt like giving up and quitting? Come on now six or eight honest people here. Well, let me just vote for you right now. I've had times in my life where I said, God, what in the world did you lead me to this place for? Why in the world did you get me here? Why did this happen? And I'm always amazed at what God said, verse 14. He didn't answer his question. He simply said, go with the strength you have. In other words, you you may not know how to do it, but if you just put some motion behind yourself, and if obedience will replace the why question, you can see something big happen in your life. Now, that's pretty, pretty powerful here. Uh, everybody knows things are overwhelming. You've been in trouble times where you just absolutely didn't know what to do. But the why question makes it worth. I mean, the why question makes it feel like quitting. But somewhere in the middle of why, you've got to choose to trust. Now, this is huge because the why paralyzes you, but truth or trust is like a serum. That's why the scripture that's defined my life is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In other words, when you can't figure it out, but in all your ways, acknowledge Him. He'll direct your steps. What does it mean to acknowledge Him? Right in the middle of it, say, Lord, I don't understand what's going on, but but, uh, I'm choosing to trust you right now. I'm choosing to put my life in your hands again and I'm choosing to follow you wherever you're going to lead me and you'll lead me out of this mess. Now there was a prophet, his name was Habakkuk. Again, he wrote in this time of tumult, Habakkuk 3.17, listen to what he said. He said, fig trees may not grow figs. There's no grapes on the vines. In other words, the grocery store is empty. There's no food growing in the fields. No sheep in the pens or cattle in the barns. In other words, there's no happy meals anymore. We don't, we don't know where we're going to eat. And you say, yeah, well, i got food stored up, preacher. I, okay, you've eaten all your food. Okay? Or, or, or somebody steals it. And he's right in that spot. Listen to what he says. But I will still, everybody say still, be glad, not in my circumstances. But where? In the Lord. I will rejoice in God my Savior. The Lord is my strength. And can I tell you, friends, when you allow, and it's a choice, trust God. To replace the feelings behind the circumstances, things can turn around. I'm telling you. And the way I have to do it is, I have to say it and pray it out loud when I'm by myself. Let's so you get in a situation, and let's say, let's say you lose your job, and 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 you don't know how you're going to make your house payment, and you know life is a mess and life is trouble. You can you can pray this way. You can say, Oh God, I know you've been real busy and you don't care about me, but did you, you know I got this bill in the mail? Now, you're talking to the God that X number of years ago said, let there be light, and it started, and it's still happening today at the speed of light. Come on, the universe is still expanding. Every telescope finds another galaxy and another billions of stars and billions of galaxies. That God that did that, you're saying, don't you know that I got a letter from Citibank? <laughs> Maybe you could pray this way. Lord, when I bought this house, I asked you what to do, and you gave me peace about it, and you provided for me, and I felt you led me to do this. And I gave this house to you. Come on now. I dedicated this house to you. It belongs to you. Now, if you want me to live somewhere else, I will, but you led me this far, and it's your responsibility, come on, to help me make the mortgage payment. I'm somehow getting my burden off my shoulders and onto the Lord where it belongs. Trust is the starting place. Come on. And that's what helps us get beyond the why question. Now let's look at a couple more things. Look at verse 15. Here's a third one that's big for us. Uh, reason sees limitations. Faith sees possibilities. Reason sees limitation. Faith sees possibilities. Look at verse 15. Now, mind you, the conversation is, con- is continuing. Why has all this happened? Where are the miracles? God said, go in the strength you have. And then, old man of faith, Gideon says, well, how can I rescue Israel? Don't you know it's impossible? My clan is the weakest uh, in the tribe of Manasseh. I'm the least in my entire family. What's he doing? He's looking at his checkbook. He's looking at his checkbook, and here's what God says. I will be with you. And you're going to destroy those multitudes of Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. I want you to think about this just a second. Does a checkbook matter? Absolutely. Doesn't the Bible tell us to count the cost before we do something? Absolutely. Punch up the numbers so you can look at it, but take the numbers and bring it to God. I'm telling you, if you just look at what the calculator says, you will never find the next step that God has for you. Somewhere faith has to take over. Do you realize Gideon's response was the same response as the disciples? When Jesus has just preached, there's 20,000 hungry people, and the disciples bring up something. They say, hey, look, you know, uh, these people are hungry. You need to send them to get something to eat. And Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And all they said was, well, all we've got is a little bread. Come on now. We just have somebody went to Long John Silver. We got a couple pieces of fish left over, and we got a couple biscuits, and that's all we've got. And it's the same thing that Sarah said, 90 years old, can't have a baby. And God said, you're going to have a child and this child's going to change the world. And she said, well, I can't have a child. I'm 90 years old. Can I tell you, friend, reason and facts must give way to faith. For the believer, reason and facts must give way to faith. Faith that believes God. Now listen, stay with me on this one. They're not going to put it on the screen. But Romans chapter 4, I believe it's verse 16. Abraham. Abraham and his statement. You remember, he's 100 years old and his wife is 90 years old. But notice, he didn't weaken in his faith when he considered his own body. Now, I want you to know this. Faith doesn't ignore facts. Faith looks at facts and believes God anyway. Go ahead. No distrust made him waver. There's your key word right there. But concerning the promise of God. Now, this is key to the whole deal. The the Bible is not uh, Aladdin's lamp, and if you just rub it the right way, you get what you want. Come on now. What you got to do is you got to find the mind of God, the promise of God, the will of God, and when God speaks something to your heart and you know it's what God says, you can take that to the bank. See, he, he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. So my question to you is, do you believe that God can do what he promised in your life? And when you're in the middle of trouble, when your family's in trouble, come on, when a nation is in trouble, when a school is in trouble, when a city is in trouble, if you have the promise of God, friend, you can be a turnaround leader because you know where God's wanting to go and you're going to be His partner. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand. Now, let's, 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 let's keep going with this. Um, facts can be right and wrong at the same time. Facts can be right and wrong at the same time. Abraham says, I'm 100 years old, my wife's 90, and 90-year-old women don't have babies. And all the ladies said, my wife told me last night, 55-year-old men don't have babies either. That happens to be how old I am. So anyway. So the facts can be right, right, but they can also be wrong if God wants to do something to supersede the facts. Faith does not deny the reality of what is. Listen, some people that want God to heal them are bleeding because they cut themselves and said, that's not any blood. If you're bleeding, you're bleeding. Come on now, if you're sick, you're sick. But God has the power, come on, to heal what's broken. God has the power, and that's what our faith does. It believes that God... Listen, Jesus told his his, the father of a demon-possessed boy, all things are possible, come on, for him who believes. And I declare to you this evening, faith opens the door to God's possibilities when you get a word from Him. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. I want to wrap up on this. Let's go to let's go to verse 25. Again, we've been learning this morning is God sees our potential, we see our limitations. The why question will paralyze us. Reason sees the limitation, faith sees the possibility, and here's the last one. The first step is the hardest step. Everybody say the first step. Now mind you, at this part of the story, all uh, all uh, all Gideon has is a promise from God, and he has some sheepskin that's wet one day and it's dry the next day. But I mean, the enemy is still out there. The problem is still there, and what I want you to see is the problem doesn't disappear until he takes the first step. Now, it doesn't it disappear right after it. How many know the Jordan River was at flood stage? Remember, the priests had to put their feet into the river? before the rivers would open up where they could cross on dry land. You remember Peter had to make the first step to get out of the boat when Jesus had come and walk on the water. But I want to tell you this, the first step is the hardest step. Now look at this, Judges 6.25 The Lord said, Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole. God-fearers, the inheritors of the promises, and they've got an altar to Baal in the front yard. Baal was the number one pagan deity of the Old Testament. He was a Canaanite deity that they believed was responsible for rain and fertility. They were farmers, they needed the rain and their animals needed to reproduce, so they created this god. They got this god from the pagan world and called his name Baal. They would make sacrifices to it of animals and oftentimes even young children. So here we've got this pagan altar and I want you to think about America now. And then they had an Asherah pole. Asherah was another false goddess. So they're worshiping a false goddess. And in their history somehow, they believe that even Asherah was somehow hitting on Baal's dad. I mean, it was kind of a, it was kind of a perverted little mess there. But this is the situation of the world. But it's in his daddy's backyard. Now here I want you to see, God hadn't done anything supernatural yet to change the situation. But notice what he said, the first thing you've got to do is tear down your father's altar to Baal. And can I tell you, it's the hardest thing to do. Your first step as a turnaround leader is the hardest step you're going to take. Verse 26 says, then I want you to build the proper kind of altar to the Lord. Now I'm going to tell you this friend, it's not enough just to get rid of what's wrong. You've got to replace it with what's right. You got to build the Lord's altar, come on, the place of worship for the living God, right in the very place where the pagan altar was. He knew what he had to do, verse 27, but he was afraid of his family and the men of the town. But your neighbor said, you'd be afraid too. He was afraid just like you and I would, but you know what? He didn't let fear stop him. And can I tell you, that is exactly the mindset and the posture we need to have, is that when God calls us to do something, we cannot let our fear stop us. But it is, listen, it is easy to do. It's hard to get up in the saddle, you know. It's hard to take the first step when fear is right in your face. Because here's what they said, verse 30. The next morning, they demanded of his daddy, Joash, bring out your son because he must die. We're going to kill your son because he's broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole. Now, what in the world can we learn from this? I want to tell you, my friends, the first step is always the hardest step. And he had to go out there and he had to kind of put himself on the line. But can I tell you, when you get out there with God, you're never alone. You and God are a majority. And you will never see victory come, come on, until the spiritual stronghold is taken down. There's a spiritual stronghold that stands in opposition. Come on, to your family, to our city, to our nation, to our college. All the things that we endeavor to do as Christian people, there's a stronghold that's there, and that stronghold's got to come down. And here's something else you've got to know. is As a Christian, you will expect opposition, but guess what? You need to expect help. Let me say it again. You can expect opposition to come to you, but you can expect help when you get ready to face something that needs to be broken. It's going to be hard. Come on, let me know if Satan wants to keep you out of God's best. You got to get right in his face there in your prayer closet. You got to begin to do things you know to tear down the wrong and put up the right. And I want to tell you, friend, God will show up on your behalf. Let me give you an example of this very thing that I'm that I'm talking about about facing our fears, about doing what's right. There was a, a Catholic uh, archbishop that had the privilege of praying. He prayed in the end of both the Republican convention and the Democratic convention. I understand he prayed a similar prayer. But here's what he prayed now. And mind you, if you watched it this week, there was a lot of talk about abortion, same-sex marriage, all these things that are floating around our culture right now. And if you can imagine, here's this guy. They had just voted, say, 10,000 for removing God and 10,000 against it. And now this man of the Christian heritage comes to the microphone with the last prayer. And here's what he did. When he came up in his closing benediction, he made allusions to the you, you, the church and the White House being at odds over the health care. You remember when, 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 when our modern health care plan is going to force people of faith to add abortion coverage in the morning after pill to the health care plan. And here's what he prayed. He said, renew in all our people a profound respect for religious liberty, the first and most cherished freedom bequeathed on us at our founding. The second thing he prayed, we ask your benediction on those waiting to be born that they may be welcomed and protected. Boy, I bet people were waving fingers at him and it wasn't a happy finger. I mean, I'm just, if I can just kind of say that, I mean, he he was... Can we be that honest in church? Come on! We ask your benediction, your blessing on those waiting to be born that they may be welcomed and protected. And then he prayed about same-sex marriage. Show us anew the happiness that's found in respecting the laws of nature and nature's God. Empower us with your grace So we might resist the temptation to replace the moral law with idols of our own making or remake those institutions you've given us for the nurturing of life and community. He's talking about the family and marriage. So what is the point of that, my friends? Here's the gutsy guy, come on, that had the courage to stand up, to stand up and begin to do what's right in the middle of what has been a, a spiritual disaster. And here's somebody that had the guts to begin to pray a godly prayer. Now, I'm telling you, friends, how many want to be like that, that archbishop? I'm telling you what. I, I, listen, I'm reluctant to even in church sometimes. I've asked a dozen people, should I talk about, you know, the Democratic Convention? Because there's Democrats and Republicans, and they just put me in a box. I'm only a preacher that's been here twenty-two years that's endeavored to live a godly life and have the courage to tell you the truth about what's going on, come on, that cares more, listen, that cares more about you knowing things that you don't pick up in culture anymore. There was a day in our culture, come on, when, when, when our schools taught the Christian heritage of America, not anymore. If you watched the movie on Columbus five, six years ago, he was just some, he was just some greedy European wanting to pillage America but if you were to read his diary you'd see he was a man that felt he was sent by Jesus Christ listen to go into America come on to establish the gospel to the othermost parts of the earth our society has neutered the knowledge of God our society and it has filtered down in our institutions and in our politics and our parties and all those things I'm not a perfect person if you hear something that I say you disagree with listen I'm just a guy send me an email if I'm wrong I'll change course But I want to do my best to be able to present the issues of the day through a biblical lens and call right, right, and wrong, wrong. Come on. That's what that Catholic bishop did, and I think he deserves a good round of applause, too. Don't you? We're going to close with prayer this morning. The powerful thing that happened is when he made the first step that was the hardest step, you know the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came on him? The Holy Spirit clothed him. And here's what you need to know. When you make your first step as a turnaround leader and you make that step into what's hard, you're going to find God's help in a way you've never made it before. If God has given you a promise, come on, for change and a promise for turnaround, and He has shown you what you're supposed to do, can I tell you, friend, God, by His Holy Spirit, is going to be right there. Come on. And God is going to come on you just like He came on Gideon, and God is going to make you a turnaround leader. Give the Lord a big hand this morning, and I'm, I'm done. Why don't we stand to our feet today, and and we want to have a word of prayer this morning. We want to offer a word of prayer this morning because, listen, I know that many of you this morning, in listening to me, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you. There has been a voice inside my voice that God wants to give you hope that you can see turnaround. And if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I believe God is calling me to be a turnaround leader, I want to challenge you to make your first step today. If something in the message this morning, some area of life that you have identified with in a very real way, whether it's your family, whether it's our nation, whether it's our city, whether it's your school, but somewhere that you have a burden from God, that there needs to be turnaround, and you want to say to the Lord, I want to be that person to see things turn around, I would be honored to pray for you this morning, but I believe you need to make your first step of surrendering to God to be a turnaround leader. So if you're here this morning and say, Pastor, God has spoken to me, and I want to give my life to Him because I want to see it turn around, I want you to just slip out of your chair right now and let me pray with you right now. Just slip right out of your chair. Just say, Pastor, God's called me to be a turnaround leader, and I want to step on board. Come on, let me pray for you. Dozens of people in both our earlier services, God has called me to be a turnaround leader, and I'm going to pray right now that God's hand is going to be on my life. I'm going to pray right now that God is going to anoint me. I'm going to pray right now that God is going to give me wisdom and revelation and knowledge in the knowledge of God. I'm asking for God to help me. Um, You may not know what it is you're supposed to do yet, but you're simply coming to God saying, God, I want your anointing as a turnaround leader. I want you to be able to help me, Lord Jesus, to do what you've called me to do. Come on, for your school, for our country, for your nation, for your home, for your family. God wants me to be a turnaround leader. And I want to surrender myself. I want to be a modern-day Gideon. I want my life to make a difference. I want to see the hand of God move. I don't know how to do it. It's too difficult for me. It's too hard for me. But I'm offering myself to God because I know that nothing is impossible with God. Would you just lift your hand towards Thee that are in the altar right now? And you that are in the altar, I want you to just slip your hands to heaven right now. And let's just begin to pray right now as we surrender ourselves to God. Let's just pray the prayer of the Lord Jesus let your kingdom come come on and let your will be done would you just pray that right now let your kingdom come and let your will be done in my family Let your kingdom come and let your will be done in this great nation. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. In all the places, the spheres of influence that I have around me, I'm offering myself to you, God, on behalf of Texarkana, USA, on behalf of the place I work, on behalf of the place that I go to school, on behalf of my activities, wherever they may be, that you want me to be a turnaround influence. And now I want you that around the altar. I want to pray very specifically for two things. And the first is that God would give you revelation. The Bible speaks of a spirit of wisdom and revelation that literally God Himself would give you what to do. That God Himself would give you the promise that God would show you. Can we just agree for our friends right now that God is going to show them exactly what they need to do? Come on, begin to pray right now. that The God of heaven would reveal to them His mind and His will and His way and they would know it beyond a shadow of a doubt and that they would have an encounter with God it would be settled in their heart the path that they're to take. Now, the second thing that we're going to pray for them right now is that God would anoint them by the Holy Spirit. Because, listen, just your emotion and your passion and zeal are not enough. Your knowledge is not enough. Your money is not enough. Your sword is not enough. But, Lord, we pray for that You would anoint us now just like You did Gideon. That you would take our meager 300 and you would defeat a massive, massive army that's before us. That you would take our meager 300 and you would fix a family that's broken. Lord, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, do what we are incapable of doing on our own. And we simply now just lift our hands to you and say, come, Lord Jesus. Would you just lift your hands to heaven with me now, all across the congregation. Just say, Lord, just come and have your way in my life. Come and have your way in our great nation. Come and have your way, Lord. We just welcome you today. Thank God in Jesus' name. Give the Lord a big hand this morning. Come on. He's worthy. He's he's worthy of our praise today. He's worthy of our praise. Hang on right where you are. We're going to close with prayer for anyone else. But I want to tell you, I'm very proud of you of surrendering your, yourself to God. That's what got Isaiah, his start. When Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord and the Lord said, who will go for me? Who shall I send? And Isaiah said, Here am I send me. It is the starting place. Peter became the guy that led the early church probably because he was a guy with guts to step out of the boat when they were on the water in a difficult place. I'm telling you, friend, it's a powerful step when you make a prophetic statement to God is I want my life to make a difference. We want to close by offering prayer for one last prayer for anyone that may be here today. If you missed our earlier prayer, or maybe if God has been dealing with you or showing you something in the service today, and you want someone to pray for you, it would be our honor to pray for you this morning. Oftentimes people leave before the work is done and the devil just comes and steals away the word that was sown in their heart. But if there's something that God is doing in your life, something that you have need of and you'd like prayer for this morning, as we sing this last song one time through, then I want you to come. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, my greatest need is to get my life right with God. If you're here today and you need to surrender your life to Christ, you need to be saved. Whether it's the first time or you're coming back to Christ after having gotten away, if you have the courage to make a step to God, I promise you, God will meet you and change your life. Let's just begin to worship. We're going to have a few people from our prayer team right here in the middle. And if you want prayer for anything, you just come. I love you and thank you so much for coming today.